We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start. Start winning. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bill's Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And Chris, yeah, I I never want to start a show on a low note, and yet I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't say goodbye to John Madden. The news broke what twenty ish, thirty ish minutes ago. Yeah, he died this morning. A lot of people are going to tweet about Madden because they feel like it's what they're supposed to do. They feel like the. On the merits that he was influential and that this is important. In reality, a lot of them probably never give a single shit about John Madden and haven't thought about him in years. Here's what I'm going to say. John Madden made watching football for me as a little kid fun. It was a treat. Like, I remember as a kid getting to stay up late and watch Sunday Night Football with Madden at the helm of color commentary. And I remember just moments of him, maybe even blithering, but he he said things that made me laugh while I was watching the game of football. And Chris, you and I, 
I think more so than maybe any other Bills content creator. I don't know. Is it fair to say that our appreciation for podcasting, like we, would you say you listen to more sports podcasts or comedy podcasts? Definitely more comedy. Me too. I love the game of football, but I skew more towards, I want to have a good time. And I find that more in comedy podcasting than in sports podcasting. I'm just here for a good time. Make me laugh. Because what I'm doing while I'm listening to this usually probably stinks. And so in that way, I just want to have a chuckle about something. And if you can make me do it, then you got me. You've got me. I'm your guy. John Madden gave me that. And he made football fun for a kid who wasn't who had tried playing it, wasn't very good at it. Like, I I was good to a certain point, but not really. (laughs) And I just it's I don't know. It's weird to know that he's passed on, even though we've been bereft of him for years. And it almost makes me a little bit sad. For the next generation of football fan, because who's going to be the draw in the booth for them? Probably, probably Buck and Aikman. I mean, you think about this. He was one of the most winning coaches ever. What his win percentage? Wasn't he number one? Yeah. With a minimum hundred games. Okay. Uh, He, he is, if you look from 69 to 77, he owned the NFL. Uh, AFL championship, AFC championship game, lost to Pittsburgh in the division round, AFC championship game, championship game, championship game. He was the guy, he was the king of making it the distance and not winning it. Then he won it and then still made it back the following year, which I think is hard. Chris, back-to-back Super Bowl champs. Yeah, it's tough now. Yeah. Back-to-back, hey, we made it to the conference championship. That's hard. I mean, I think Chiefs in New England have done it recently, and that's about it. But more than that, he was fun in the booth because he was just, he would say things that you, <laughs> like, when he was talking, even me as a kid would be like, I don't know what it is he's trying to say, but he's having a good time with it, and I'm having a good time listening to him. Chris, was he ever the most succinct? No. No. Was he ever the... I, look, look at this. I, I looked at uprocks.com, remembering some of John Madden's weirdest broadcasting moments. Okay. First of all, his his famous quote, don't worry about the horse being blind, just load the wagon. <laughs> that was when he was a coach. If Sean McDermott came out and said that today, we would all go, wait, what the fuck did our guy just say? <laughs> I don't. I don't like that. That sounds that sounds like lunacy. And yet, John Madden won on the back of that kind of thought process. I, well, to me, discipline in football occurs on the field, not off of it. That, that, <laughs> that's not a thing. You'd get canceled for saying that now, right? Yeah. Still one of my favorite moments was the load moment. Okay. You, you just there, there were so many things, but my favorite, Chris. Do you have a favorite John Madden moment? Because I do. Not, not off the top of my head. I mean, 
with as many comedy podcasts that I listen to and comedy shows that I go to, you know, Frank Caliendo is well known for having the best John Madden impression. So, I mean, I've heard him quote Madden a couple times with, uh, you know, here's a here's a guy when he puts his contacts in, he can see better. There was a moment on Sunday Night Football that if anyone can find it for me, please, at Rock Power Report, tweet it at me, email it to us, rockpowerreport716 at gmail.com. I need this for posterity. He was having a conversation with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football, and I was hungover. It was a full day hangover. It's how you know you don't leave your, you don't you never left your friend's apartment. You woke up the next day, you went to your gym bag, got your toiletry bag, you showered, and you put on a hoodie and gym shorts and slept on his couch all day, watching football, just napping, boozing, eating bad food. Is that what happens in your early twenties when you have friends? Yeah, yeah, that's it. You didn't miss much. <laughs> so, so. He comes on and he goes, he asks Al Michael and it, Al Michaels, and it was one of the most off-putting questions. He goes, do you know what the colors, what did he say? He goes, oh, do you know what the colors, uh, what was it? It was blue and yellow. Blue and yellow, make. And he goes, well, that makes green. He goes, no, it makes red. And Al Michaels' face was just like, what? And he goes, well, you see, during the... During the commercial, break out a hot dog. And I got some of this mustard on my tie. And as you can see, and he turned and showed his tie to the camera. And sure enough, that spot had turned red. He goes, I tried to get it off, and it turned red. So blue and yellow make red. And L. Michaels looked back at the camera. Chris, I imagine you sometimes have this face after I talk. <laughs> You're just like, I don't know what the hell I just heard, and I don't have the intelligence or lack thereof to argue with it. It's all of the time. I'm just going to let this happen. And he goes, we'll be back after this. And they went to a commercial break. And when he came back, he had a different tie. It was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, he did that for me. He brought comedy to football. He brought levity. He brought access, accessibility to people who don't need a ton of football jargon, but also are smart enough to know that Chris Collinsworth sucks because he comes into every game with one speed. He's done one, one frame of research and can't pivot in the middle of a game. Madden made games fun to watch and to listen to and to hear. I don't know who's going to carry the torch for the next generation. I I hope it's someone good. I hope someone can pick up the mantle and make their mark on this league the way he did. I just, it's Chris, raise a glass to John Madden. To Madden. Now your glass here. It's a drinking podcast because you're off this week and you've got fancy ice in there, huh? Is this this pebble ice you've been talking about? It's not, well, it's not fancy. It's just, it is pebble ice, and there's nothing fancy about it. And you're drinking it out of a Duvel glass. Well, it's, I believe this is a, called a hurricane glass. A hurricane glass. Now, that comes compliments of Kevin, Kevin Harrington. Harrington. Kevin Harrington from Rochester. 
I, you, you were like, oh, this is for you and this is for Chris when you saw me at the tailgate. And I was in my head. I looked at the two glasses between the Oma Gang sampler and the Duvel one. And I said, nope, Chris is going to take that one because he's going to love that glass. Chris, true or false? Yeah, I picked that solely on <laughs> solely on glassware. Have you drank any of the Duvel? No, they're still in the refrigerator. I'm going to go crack one in the middle of this podcast. I will. I will do that at some point. Uh, cheers to John Madden. And also cheers to our Week 17 preview, the Atlanta Falcons against the Buffalo Bills. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Ralph Wilson Stadium. The weather, snowy, 29 degrees, some wind, but obviously nothing Josh Allen can't handle. The line, the Buffalo Bills are 14.5-point favorites. The sixth time this season... They've been favored by that margin. Chris, you're a gambler. How fucking wild is that? That's kind of, uh, it's crazy. That hasn't probably happened since the early 90s. Yeah. The crew calling the game this weekend, and this is going to be noteworthy. You guys wonder why I do this every week. It's because you can start to see a pattern over the course of a season. Chris, we're playing an under-talented team. We think we should come in and steamroll them. Oh, look at who comes out of the woodwork to officiate this game. Land Clark, the referee who oversaw our game against Jacksonville. Yeah, the last time the Bills lost when they were double-digit favorites. Ooh, fuck that guy, Land Clark. And who do we have on the call this week? It's on Fox. Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. Ew, Kugler. First of all, I don't even know who Kevin Kugler is. He is a part of their either D or E team. Jesus. So, so they know this game's going to be a snoozer, right? Yeah, I'm trying to mentally picture in my head if, if this calls for a uh, states bet. Seagram's states bet. Oh, boy. What states? If we're getting the E-Squad, Chris Sanchez. And Kugler. Oh, 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 and the the great Kugler. Ooh. How many, how many states do you think this gets played in? Obviously, Buffalo. Obviously, actually, bu- Actually, Buffalo, not a state. Surprised you didn't know that. I <laughs> gotta hate you. New York to Syracuse. Right? Seems right. How many states? But that's not a whole state. How many states? Georgia only to like southern, like halfway up Georgia, because everybody else is probably rooting for the Titans. Yeah. I don't know. Can we make this a, I'll say four. So you want to put four and a half states? Four and a half on the I'll line. put five, because every time I'm wrong, and it's by like half one. I'll go five. So five and a half. Five. Five and a half. So I'll take the under. You would take the under. Let me see. If, let me do math in my head. One, two, three, four. I think it could hit six states. I'll take the over. All right. There we go. Seagram. We got a Seagram's bet. I think it could hit, hit six states. Chris, the Falcons and the Bills are really strange bedfellows, right? Yeah. 
We only see him once every four years, and the last 20 years has not been kind to the Bills. We've won just one time out of three in that span. But we haven't actually played them in the city of Buffalo since 2005. Yeah. I mean, I had season tickets the last time we played them in 2013, but it didn't matter because thanks to the ill-fated Toronto series, we didn't get to see the game. Chris, I think you have some memories of that weekend. Uh, you and I watched that game. It, it was, was your first time I watched you watch football, and it was a <laughs> softball so- uh, fundraiser at, I think it was called the University on Maple. It was a bar There's around a bar. UB's campus. Yeah, next to the AMC Theater up there in, uh, in the North Towns. I remember that your softball team brought their own hot sauce. For the people to make wings. Because yeah, we don't Ma- fuck around. Make make wings, but also dredge them in this, our own sauce that we brought well, to yeah, the bar. Well, yeah, because we used to, we made a habit of going to other bars and establishments and just walking in and being like, listen, you make us cook, cook, you back there behind the, behind the kitchen. Make us the hottest wings you possibly can. Make them. And they'd be like, are you serious? Yeah. Give me, I'm calling down the thunder, make me the hottest wings you can. And then they would, and we would eat them in front of them with a straight face and be like, those weren't hot. And you could see how demoralized they were by it. I we, So we would send a guy to go get death sauce from Duff's. We would send another guy to Premier Gourmet to go pick up a bottle of something exotic. And we would sauce our wings. And that was every Tuesday. Why would that Sunday be any different, Chris? Yeah, I remember the bottle being. It was in. It wasn't really in. A, it was in a plastic container. Yes. That you would like uh, put in the frozen juice in. Yeah. Like as a kid, your mom would add the water and the the froze the frozen juice can into a Rubbermaid thing and yep. put it in the fridge. That's what you guys brought the hot sauce in. Yeah. Because we dealt in toxic stuff that probably should be Chris. Well, how do you think I became what I am now? Upbringing, upbringing, poor decision making. No, it's through years of practice. Yeah, but Chris, that was the first time you and I got to watch a football game together, and it was a Bills loss, and I was vitriolic. And you looked at you looked at me and said, "I think I can rein that in. <laughs> I think I can harness that goal." <laughs> Look at us now. Look at us now. In fact, if it wasn't for the New England, if it wasn't for the Jesus Christ, the New England Patriots, if it wasn't for the Atlanta Falcons, we might not have a podcast. I would say my ex-wife and your ex-girlfriend. Would yeah, be. they played a bigger role. Yeah. Hey, what did I tell you this weekend? They oh, all yeah. Got, they all got fat and got bad credit scores. We won. Cheers! Cheers. <laughs> we'll drink to that as the pettiest, drink, pettiest hardest drinking Bill's podcast. Until Sean McDermott and the drought-breaking 2017 Bills went down to Atlanta and shocked everybody by pulling out this tough road win, we hadn't beaten the Falcons since 1995. Oh, yeah, we had a... That's more than two decades of losing. We had a Seagram's bet on that game that you you had to drink a Seagram's. I'm interested to see how this goes as they're finally forced to come to our stadium. And I think one of the funny things here is that the 2020 Atlanta Falcons, they're not a good football team. Uh, Let me preface this whole conversation. It's kind of like how Houston beat the Chargers this weekend, right? 
People go, oh, that can't happen. Oh, you can't lose to that football team. Oh, you can. COVID. It's the NFL. Well, it's the NFL, Chris. Every week, these guys go to war. One team loses, one team wins. And a lot of times, think about, Chris, six times we've been favored by double-digit points. We didn't win all those. We barely covered all of them. I don't think we covered any of them. I feel like there's very few. Houston, maybe. I don't know. But this is what I know. If the Cardinals can lose to the friggin' Lions, any team can get beat if they don't show up ready to execute and play hard. But the Falcons are usually the team fitting that narrative more so than their opponents. I Look at this. They're 27th in third quarter scoring. 29th in fourth quarter scoring. 24th in red zone defense. 32nd and 4th quarter points per game on offense, and they have a negative 122 point differential entering this game against a high-powered Buffalo offense. Those numbers sound pretty bad, don't they? Yeah. Okay. They've also set some really dubious marks that almost defy logic. I don't understand how you do this, Chris. When you look at them like the Carolina Panthers... Their win-loss looks decent. They're 7-8. and eight. Chris, they're only two wins worse than us. Doesn't that make you think they're a decent football team? They're not. Okay. Third in the AFC, NFC South. But there's two things that stick out like a sore thumb when you look over the game logs. They have a 31-79 combined score. Like, those are the teams that they beat. They only beat one team with a winning record, which is Miami, who are currently in our conference's playoffs, which doesn't that say more about our conference than anything else? Yeah. They've won seven games, but they're one in six at home with the lone win coming against the similarly terrible Detroit Lions. So they're opportunistic on the road against bad football teams, and they suck at home. Chris... Talk to me about this. The Atlanta market. How does this work? Why do they lack home field advantage despite having one of the newer, nicer stadiums in the NFL? They don't deserve that stadium, that's for sure. Everybody moves to Atlanta from somewhere else. Like, just from going to the amount of Thrasher games that I went to, Montreal fans just flooded the building. If you ask... If you just go, if you just went to a Thrashers game and just started talking to a couple Thrasher fans, and you say, "Hey, who are the worst fans that come into this building?" Without a beat, they would say Buffalo fans. <laughs> Buffalo fans flood that stadium. Montreal, New York, Chicago, Detroit, Toronto, like everywhere. And then when there's, you know, like when there was like a Thrashers Panthers game, nobody went to that. I could get free tickets to that if I wanted to. Like that game, those games would be like ten thousand, maybe in a nineteen thousand seat arena. So when you look at like what has been well documented as a as a real problem for the for the Atlanta Falcons that they can't get their own fans in there. I'm I hearken back to twenty seventeen. Remember when we beat them there? And on Monday morning. Matt Ryan went into Atlanta radio and did his normal spot. And he talked about how he goes, well, you know, it was real loud in there. 
on every third down because those Bills fans, they travel. And, well, you know, it, it was just real hard to operate our offense, and I just kind of wish we had some of our own fans in the building to kind of, you know, equalize that. Chris, that's what happens when you build a shopping mall inside your stadium. No one sits in the seats. Yeah, it's the same way. They just built the... Um the Braves, they got a new stadium. Yeah. Because they you know, it, they've been in there a couple of years because, you know, nineteen years in another stadium is too long. We need a new one and pack it out with stores. We want you to come to these stadiums in Atlanta and we want you to do other things than sit in your seat and watch <laughs> the game. It just stuck it's always struck me as funny that Matt Ryan was lamenting the fact that he had no fans in the stands for that portion of the game where he was like, oh, the Bills are really, the Bills are really taking it to us. I wish we had some fans here to maybe help turn the tide. No, it's all Bills fans. All I can hear is, hey, hey. Two things I find funniest about this, though. Knowing that dynamic and knowing that right now, the Falcons have really quietly kind of struggled to fill their premium seats in the lower bowl with, I mean, they priced fans out of attendance, which is something that might happen to Bills fans with the new stadium, right? Lisa will love that. <laughs> Except probably not. Bills fans will still show up for those games because we're diehards. This team is ingrained in us. And Atlanta, to your point, it's, all, it's a transient city. So with that in mind, you're talking about a group of people who don't necessarily have an allegiance to this team. So they're not going to pay. They'll pay fair ticket prices. They're not going to pay what it costs to sit at Mercedes-Benz Dome. No. Now, they just won't go. Or if they go, they're going to get caught up in the, hey, Chris, this is my one time a year at the stadium. I'm going to go to the steakhouse, and I'm going to go to the shopping mall, and I'm going to go see this and do that. Well, guess what? It's the third quarter by the time you see your seats. By that point, the game's over. Yeah, especially the way Atlanta's playing this year. So the things I find funny about funniest about this is that, one, if the Falcons fans don't support them at home, they sure as hell aren't traveling from Atlanta in December to the frozen tundra of Buffalo, New York, which means they're going to have even less support than they're used to. And two, their lone win against a winning team on the road was Miami, a team notorious for lacking support from their fans at home on game day. These guys are going to walk into Ralph Wilson Stadium. And considering what's on the line from here on out for the Buffalo Bills and knowing how important this game is, it's going to be anarchy in there and not to their benefit. (laughs) Cold, snowy weather for a warm-weather dome football team playing in front of a raucous crowd that hates them? It's it's like in that remake of uh, School for Scoundrels. Have you seen that, Chris? No. Of course not. The guy who plays Jeremy Jam on Parks and Rec is describing to somebody else in their class what a swirly is. And he goes, it totally rocks your world, just not in a good way. <laughs> I feel like that's what Buffalo, New York is going to be for the Atlanta Falcons this weekend. <laughs> Is that crazy? 
You guys haven't had to play in the snow in how long? Bring it, Atlanta. Come outside the dome. Come play in the snow with your shitty football team. Ah. <laughs> uh. When you look at the makeup of this team, if we're going to give it a little bit of analysis, first of all, Matt Ryan and Arthur Smith are where I want to start. Matt Ryan's been the source of a lot of consternation. I've heard a lot of people suggest that he should retire, that he's washed, quote-unquote, that he's no better than a backup. Chris, I'm going to read you the stats of two quarterbacks, and I want to see if you can pick which one is Matt Ryan. Quarterback A, 11th in passing yards in the NFL. His on-target pass percentage is 76.8. Top 10 in completion percentage. Third most pressured quarterback in football. Quarterback B, 17th in passing yards, on-target pass percentage of 74.1, which is in the bottom 10 of the NFL. Bottom 10 in completion percentage. 10th most pressured in quarterback in football. Which one's Matt Ryan? Probably neither of them. Quarterback A is Matt Ryan. I thought this was going to be a trick question. Who's the other one, Joe Flacco? Carson Wentz. One of these teams is on the cusp of winning its division and is a lock for the NFL postseason. And one of them has been something of an embarrassment for long stretches of the season. It's kind of odd that it's the quarterback playing worse football who seems to be on the winning football team, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I want to point out his on-target pass percentage is 0.6% higher than Josh Allen's. So it's not like he's not throwing the football well. It's just what they do with it after the fact. For what it's worth, he might not get the chance to air it out, which I'll expand on in a minute. But when Matt Ryan does, he's fairly efficient. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, and any of his passes over 20 yards downfield. Six of six from 10 to 20 yards downfield. Six touchdowns, six picks. The truth is that Matt Ryan is still playing decent football. It's just hard when there's so much dysfunction surrounding you. And Atlanta has that in spades, even if no one on the outside looking in sees it. I laughed thinking about this over here on the drive today, Chris. Arthur Smith. (laughs) Do you remember the movie The Wedding Singer? Yeah, heard of it. So you've heard all this bullshit about Matt Ryan being done, right? Yeah. Arthur Smith is like John Lovitz in The Wedding Singer. He's watching Matt Ryan just get wrecked out there in the football field and just take all the vitriol from the fan base, from the local media, and he's going, he's suffering. <laughs> he's, he's, he's coming apart, and it's to my benefit, and just closes the curtain slowly. <laughs> he's reaping the benefits of Matt Ryan's suffering. And maybe I'm being hard on the guy, but he's been as up and down as any any rookie head coach could be. Chris, are we spoiled that our head coach came in and just righted the ship? Like right away out of the gate. Took an took an undermanned roster that everybody thought was and I want this is a fair question, I think. The Bills in twenty seventeen took their team and said well, we're going to trade away a bunch of key pieces. 
Because they didn't buy in. They don't want to be here. We're going to play guys like Eddie Yarbrough. Where's Eddie Yarbrough right now in the NFL? Probably out. Yeah. And yet, he's going to take 40% of snaps in every game for us, and we're going to make the playoffs. Why? Because I think I can win with the guys who buy in. And then you look at what Arthur Smith has done in his rookie year. It's not fair to compare the two. But it's also interesting that Arthur Smith, I mean, he's made his share of mistakes. He's had some really horrific performances. He's nothing special. Opens the season with a clunker, 32-6. to <laughs> Nobody knew what the fuck his game plan was supposed to be. <laughs> and as a play caller, one of the things that plagues him is he gets cute. We saw it just this past week in San Francisco. Tried to trick the... Di- Chris, you're... you're Okay, you're inside the San Francisco 10. You try to trick their defense with a play-action pass from the goal line. But instead of using your ultra-talented first-round draft... Chris, top five draft pick in Kyle Pitts, you throw the ball to former Buffalo Bills tight end Lee Smith. Look, yeah, I don't what, get that. What? Lee Smith? He had eight catches all of last year for the Buffalo Bills. What made you think that he's a red zone weapon? Yeah. That was a, that was a, I had that game in my uh, betting parlay. I think Atlanta had three series inside the five and they had no points. It's wild. Same game, fourth and less than one yard. A quarterback sneak is typically what you'd see in that scenario. Instead, they run a fake pitch out to Cordero Patterson, but with no one blocking out in space in front of him. It's almost like Arthur Smith thought he could trick all of the ultra-athletic linebackers on San Francisco into just buying the idea that we're going to fake it to a fullback and pitch out, and nobody should stay home and watch this play. The sad reality is that as a first-time head coach making the jump from offensive coordinator, he's not quote-unquote bad as a head coach. I mean, Urban Meyer, Chris, was a bad head coach. So was Bobby Petrino. Yeah. Arthur Smith still has time to prove that he could be a good one. I mean, he won seven games against bad football teams with a flawed roster. So that proves that he's not in the dregs of the NFL He's just struggling with the nuances of running the whole show rather than one half of a football team. But you almost have to give him a pass when you look at the roster makeup. He's saddled with a poor and aging roster that's bearing the weight of some some salary cap. And uh, Chris, I don't mind him getting cute when he thinks the roster sucks and that's what he has to do to try to win. Merck, 256. He's a, he's a fan favorite. On Twitter. If you're not following him, go give him a follow again. M-E-R-K-256 on Twitter. Chris, why don't you read that tweet for our listeners? Atlanta is such a weirdly constructed roster. You have either you have either have a good player or a bad player at every position with virtually no middle class on the roster. The bad players are clearly dragging down the good players most of the time, which leads to massively inconsistent play. He's absolutely right. And I, I, 
I couldn't say it better. So I cribbed his tweet. Credit to him. Chris, let's look at their offense. Cordell Patterson is is what? He's he's a guy Bills fans wanted on this roster this year. It's a wide receiver turned running back. And yet he's still playing both roles. Look at this. He's got over a thousand yards from scrimmage and is the epitome of a dual threat weapon. Size and receiving chops make him dangerous, not just on short routes from the backfield, like out in the flats. Like like think about the routes we throw to Singletary. Checkdowns. Cordell Patterson is a dude who can get out and get behind linebackers, stretch the field a little bit if they let him go. They know that, so linebackers have to approach him differently than any other running back in football. It's wild. His size and receiving chops make him dangerous. And at the same time, he's running between the tackles really, really well, and his elusiveness lets him get out to the edge and manufacture yardage. It's why he's been a factor all season. Kyle Pitts, exciting rookie. A few weeks to catch on, but look at what he's done. Kyle Pitts has come on. Chris, he's going to break 1,000 yards as a rookie. He's going to. He has almost 300 yards after the catch with an average depth of target of 11 yards downfield which tells you they use him as a weapon in the open field and they scheme ways to get him open to punish opposing defenses. That's impressive. He leads the team in targets by a wide margin. He's over 101 at this point, with over 30 more than anybody else. And we already talked about Matt Ryan, but also in the wake of Kelvin Ridley's departure from the team. I mean, he, Chris, Kelvin Ridley is a talent, right? Allegedly. He takes a sabbatical from football. Russell Gage steps up in his stead. I don't know. In those seven starts since then, he's got three touchdowns, one of the best deep ball ratings in the NFL. I mean, it's a small sample size, but he's four for five with two touchdowns on passes of more than 20 yards and a 31.5 yards per reception rating. You have to account for this guy getting loose downfield. He runs clean routes. That sounds great. So you wonder why they're not winning more, right, Chris? Oh, they've got weapons. What's happening? Because everything sucks! Remember when I said Ryan was the most pressured quarterback in the NFL? Yeah. He gets no help from those big uglies up front. I mean, I have a screenshot here on my phone of an article. And it's one of the more, I don't know, it's one of the craziest things I've ever read about a football team. They said the Falcons at 6-8, and eight, this is from TheAthletic.com, have had 43 plays this season needing one yard for a first down or touchdown. They've only succeeded 20 times. That conversion rate is 46.5% and is the lowest in the NFL. No one else is lower than 60, and the overall league average is 70.5%. Let that sink in, Chris. When things get tight and things get tough, this offense folds like a house of cards it, to, an, to a historically embarrassing level. And when you look at the makeup of what they are up front, that it tells the story. Rookie offensive guard, I mean, Jake Matthews at left tackle, he's been good. Rookie offensive guard Jalen Mayfield. I remember people talking about Mayfield to the Bills. He's been fucking terrible in pass pro this season. Cody Ford-esque 
in terms of metrics. What? Dude, six games with a grade below 30. And his first game in the NFL, he put up the lowest score ever recorded, a 1.4 pass block rating with eight pressures and two sacks. That guy shouldn't be in the NFL, should he? Doesn't sound like it. Uh, 2020 first-round pick, right tackle Caleb McGarry. Brutal the past three games. 11 pressures, six hurries, three sacks. Sounds like he shouldn't be in the NFL, should he? Nope. Uh, 2019 third-round pick, Matt Hennessy has been starting for them at center. One positively rated game in pass protection over the last six. And against the powerhouse that is the Detroit Lions, he let a sack in four pressures. So, you've got nice pieces on this offense, but the structure that's supposed to tentpole them and hold them up is a gross combination of inexperienced and just under-talented. That's always a recipe for disaster. And the Falcons are living in it right now. <laughs> and on the defensive side of the ball, it's it's a lot of the same. Dan P. Dean Pease. Dean Pease. He's a great defensive coordinator who's known for this attacking 3-4 scheme. And it worked well for him in New England. It worked for him in Baltimore. It's Right now, they've been playing a scheme that's heavily predicated, predicated on nickel play. When he was coaching for the Titans back in 2018, before he retired, 73% of the time they played nickel. Chris, you know I hate it when the Bills do that. Yeah, you hate, you hate it when the Bills do a lot of things. I know, but when they play nickel defense against base offense, oh, you're going to run 12 personnel and you're going to put tight ends in the field. Oh, I'm sure that one of those tight ends won't block Teron Johnson to the ground. Chris, that's probable, correct? I guess so. You know, a guy 170, 80-something pounds versus a 300-pounder? Yeah, I don't like my odds. Yeah, like me versus you. Yes, correct. 100% correct. And yet, I don't know. It's it's worked for Dean Pease for years. He runs this, it literally is just opportunistic blitzes in this bend-don't-break mentality. The whole idea is he walks a bunch of guys up to the line, pre-snap, so that you, Chris, you as a quarterback, don't get to diagnose pre-snap where he's going with the football, or at least where his defenders are going to be, and then they bail out into different coverages, and it's supposed to be this exotic thing. <sighs> On paper, it sounds great. If you were to write it all up, you'd say, well, their, their defense should be pretty good. In execution, they've been one of the NFL's most disappointing units. <laughs> so much of that has to do with the fact that, well, the scheme says Ben don't break. They don't have the horses to ensure that they can do the latter part of that. There are a few bright spots in the defensive line. I mean, Chris, look, I have them up there on the screen in the right up in front of you. Pull it up. Take a look. Here we go. There's a few bright spots in the defensive line. I'm talking about defensive tackle Grady Jarrett, uh, defensive end Dante Fowler Jr. They're probably the most consistent pass rush threats. They're the guys whose name gets mentioned the most, but they're surrounded by players that I... Chris, do you recognize a single name off this listing? Dante Dante Fowler Jr. Can you pronounce the name of anybody else in that group? What a 
Adetokunbo Ogundigi, uh, Jacob Tuatoli Mariner, John Kaminsky. That guy sounds like a serial killer, not a football player. And look at the ratings, Chris. Is there a single person in that edge defender group who's good? No. <laughs> They're no. all rated terribly. And in the secondary, they have some really solid coverage talents like AJ Terrell, Fabian Moreau. Like, they're doing their best, but they're anchored with some of the sorriest linebacker and safety play the NFL has to offer. They run a lot of nickel, which puts linebackers Deion Jones and Fosse Olukun. I can't can't pronounce any of their team's name. Chris, is this an Atlanta thing? Yeah. I, I can't pronounce any of this. They put them on the field for the gross majority of snaps. They've combined to allow six touchdowns, more than 80% of their targets against them to be completed, and 775 yards after the catch through 17 weeks of football. That's fucking wild. The picture this all paints is that if they're getting any help from the safeties, say in a game where they're going up against a team, or if they're not getting that help, against a team like us, they can stretch the field and kind of keep the safeties out of the box. They're both a gross liability. That combined with their awful run defense metrics, which are probably a byproduct of the fact that they're all, their defensive line sucks, they're just not enough to stop opposing offenses on a consistent basis. So the result is a team that can sometimes take advantage of weaker opponents or rebuilding teams that don't have an above-average quarterback. But at the same time, they're 27th in the NFL in opponent third down conversion rate for a reason. Teams march on them. They're just not talented enough to slow down decent teams. And when they get on a roll by the late portion of those games, they just fold. It's why their fourth quarter and third quarter metrics are so bad. Chris, normally this is where we would talk about our keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Except at this point, Chris, and when you look at what the Falcons are, there's plenty of voids of talent on this roster that the Bills should be able to take advantage of. Specifically, if the Falcons commit to playing the same style of defense that they have for the last, I don't know, month? <laughs> month and a half? If they play nickel, trying to combat our 11 and 22 personnel packages, they don't have a chance. We have more horses than they do on that side of the ball. It's going to be a bloodbath. As long as we show up and do our jobs and Lane Clark and his fucking officiating crew don't get in the way. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you worried about that at all? No, we should take this game handedly. I don't know if I would put money on the bills on the spread. Well, the spread is wild, and the bills have not done well against those spreads over the course of the season. But given the generous nature of their defense and the fact their offense has been held under 20 points in five of the last seven games, I think the bills can pretty much... Listen, if you show up and you have your head on straight... The Buffalo Bills win this game. So instead of wasting all your time with our keys to victory, I instead want to have a little bit of fun with this. Chris, as you've got a drink in front of you, you've gotten a little bit loose tonight. We've had a lot of fun. Yeah, well, this is all gone. I know. So, you're going to drink a moose head with me. I know you're not a beer drinker. You're going to drink a moose head with me. I got one right here. I'm opening it for you. And you're going to tell me the top five things you hate about the city of Atlanta. Uh, We'll start with the least and work to the most. What's the fifth worst thing you hate about the city of Atlanta? The fifth? Jesus. Um, Probably be the, I use air quotes, sport, the Atlanta fans. Because they're (laughs) they're non-existent. Like, one of the things that I did in Atlanta was I worked parks and recreation. So I'm out at like parks making sure all youth league games or and or adult league games, depending what I'm scheduled to work, is running smoothly. Of all the people that I've met in Atlanta, I cannot say confidently I came across somebody that is a level of Atlanta fan like Falcons, because we're talking football here, the way you and I are Bills fans. All right. Never met anybody that was was an Atlanta fan to us as a Bills fan. Their sports fans are non-existent. Okay. Fourth thing you hate most about the city of Atlanta. Um, I wish I had some dramatic music to play me at. <laughs> What's the fourth thing you hate most about the city of Atlanta? Probably Buckhead. Probably I heard you talk about this. Buck, no. Buckhead as a whole is, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like if you made Clarence a city, just yuppie. Wait, yuppie, but also kind of in this, like they have trees in the yard, so they think they're country. Yeah, they're. Oh, they're, I hate. Oh, listen, they're up, like they're uppity. Look how <laughs> look how much money I have. Look at my million dollar home. Oh Jesus! So it's so it's not Clarence it's Orchard Park. Clarence, like, well, is it Orchard Park with trees? It it is. Yeah, it's, that's what I'm talking about. Well, I also view it was probably because it's, it's Clarence. I've always put saber players there. So you have, like, because Orchard Park, all the Bills players live in OP, or at least most of them. And then generally all the Sabre players live in Clarence. So it's, it still has a rich, a richer vibe 
money vibe, but Buckhead, it's like Orchard Park, but with a city feel to it. So Greg Thompson hung out there all the time. In Buckhead? Yeah. Well, from where he lived, that's like a good 40-minute drive. Oh, see, I thought he lived where the money was. Mm-mm. Here we are. No, but it does... It, over the years, it's progressively gotten worse. Like where, like if you want to get like live on the outskirts of everything, it keeps getting moved back. So like when I was in Atlanta, it was like oh, if you wanted to live like just on the outskirts of being able to drive into the city, like for a good forty minute drive, Roswell, Alpharetta, mm-hmm. that's where you would live. Now it's like been pushed out to like. Uh, Forsyth County, which is where Greg lived when he lived in in uh, in Atlanta. But like you now, you now you're talking. You're got to be like an hour outside of the city to be, you know, on the on the considered on like the skirts where it's like still country, but <laughs> now you're taking it's taking you an hour to get. And to you're the city. paying half a million dollars to live there. Your third thing you hate most about the city of Atlanta. Um. I don't like the people. <laughs> what is it about the people? What did they do to you? Oh, I, mean, I know. I get. Chris, I get. Have, it's, I get. It's all. We have pictures of you having the most miserable face with a mushroom bowl cut. It's it's easily one of my favorite photos well, ever. People are there are are the worst. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if we've ever if we've mentioned it on the podcast, but uh, I mean, it made national news um, a couple months ago, but. Of, friend of mine from high school is got 25 years in prison this summer so i mean yeah i remember the day that happened yeah it was like in it happened you know honestly the crime that was it was committed new year's eve last year so we're coming up on the one one year anniversary of it but yeah he uh wanted to uh Come up with a plot to be the hero to his uh, his ex wife. See here, I'm waiting. Here, I'm waiting to hear about how the restaurants suck, the food sucks, everything sucks. And instead, you're focusing on some really deep seated grudges against the South. Chris, yeah, the food, your time down there seems detrimental to your health. It's the food is the food wouldn't make the list because you know just like transient food brings yeah, transient. Just, just like Buffalo, how transients you, bring transient food. Yeah, just like how in you know in Buffalo you have a Polish neighborhood, an Italian neighborhood, German neighborhood, a Greek neighborhood. There's kind of that vibe in Atlanta through different counties. Like, uh, and you'll get there's a, Atlanta's got great Mexican food. So many really, gr- so many great Mexican restaurants in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, that, and uh, I would say also say. Uh, if you go down, if you go out to Gwinnett County around uh, like Steve Reynolds Boulevard, I, I mean, I don't know if they're still there, but there's strip malls and you drive by them and you look like, oh, what businesses are these? They're all written in Japanese, Chinese, Mandarin. <laughs> they have good, so the, and they're all like restaurants. Get in there! So you can have, there's good Mexican food to be found in Atlanta. Chinese food, Japanese food. Well, that's what you that's, get from a melting pot. Yeah, so when that's, you when you create a melting pot like Atlanta, none point, of that's none that of that's going to make my sound list. Like a negative. That sounds like a positive. Yeah, that's not going to be. 
anywhere okay. near my list. Cardinal thing that bothers you about the city of Atlanta. The reason you root against the card the reason you root against the Falcons, the reason that you root against everything that comes from Atlanta, the reason that you your family bothers you because they're from Atlanta, like well, that they lived there and that they dragged you there. What is the worst thing about that area to you? Uh, well, I mean, it's traffic is the worst. I, I, <laughs> we, the last time we played the Falcons, you and I were going to go down to Atlanta. Yep. Stay at my mom and dad's and then go to that game. I would hit on your mom ferociously. All right. And then we would go. Just because I would have walked around shirtless going, just flexing in the kitchen. Hey, Donna. You know, we would. Oh, hey. Yeah. I, I don't know if you, like Ron Burgundy style. I don't know if you heard. I just did like 500 curls. <laughs> Yeah, we would have gone to the game four years ago and stayed in the hotel. But um, the traffic, I would love to watch you drive around in Atlanta traffic. You know what else would be fun to deal with? The aftermath of this game, because I'm pretty sure if the Bills lose it, it'll be a nightmare. But I don't think they will. They have their shit together, right? Yeah, I think we're going to handle They proved they buttoned it up. They proved that they have the chops to handle whatever anybody throws at them. This past week, you you stepped it up a notch, and now if you if you backslide, Chris, you can't you can't afford that. Correct? No, I mean, no more Jaguars performances. No, they're not going to do that because I'm going to be at the game. So yeah. if you're going to be out there tailgating, you know where to find us in the mud lot. We should we should do the the was it the three word what's that app the three word three words what three words what three words we should tweet out our location I will via that app I I'll will. be there I will be I will come in hand with chicken wing dip I'll make some on oh Saturday. the Chris the Chris Kruger famous chicken wing dip let's go this is already going to be one of the best tailgates we've had and all year Iman's going to be there right oh my god Iman and I are already cooking up some special well, surprises I'm going to be sweating it out for him to try my chicken wing dip and him tell me that it's not good I can't or how wait. to or or if anything at least tell me how to improve the chicken I can't wait guys this has been fun I'm Drew Gear that's Chris Kruger and this has been your week 17 preview.